Good morning, Parkway Church. How we doing? Good morning. So glad to see you guys, whether you're gathered at Parkway Victoria, Parkway Port Lavaca, Parkway Lone Tree, or Parkway Online. We are so glad that you're here. My name is Mike. I'm the senior pastor here. And it's my privilege now to open the Bible with you and to begin to walk through Scripture together as we're doing throughout this year. Our goal is very simple. We're going to open our Bibles, book by book, big idea by big idea, theological thread by theological thread. We're going to learn the big major players in God's story. We're going to do it together each and every week. Today we begin our look at the book of Exodus. It's a journey to freedom. And as we look at this, let's catch you up to speed in case you weren't here in recent weeks. In the first week of our teaching on Genesis, we learned that God created us. And that as God created everything that we know, see, and experience in six days and then rested, he looked and he said, it is very good. And then in week two, we learned through the story of Noah and the ark that sin is contagious and it spreads faster than any virus that you and I could ever come across in our daily life. And because of sin, God corrected and he wiped out the world and, and gave us a way of escape through the ark of Noah. So our God created, then our God corrected. And then last week we looked at how God chose his people through a man named Abraham. God would bring a nation. God would give land. God would give his people a promise and a blessing and a place where they would thrive. See, because sin was so contagious, God looked and said, I'm going to choose a people I'm going to choose a people to be my people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that will stand out from the nations that surround them. And now we fast forward to the book of Exodus. And as I fast forward or skip through the end of Genesis, there are a few key things you need to know. Just like you and I have our spiritual ups and downs, the people of God, the Israelites, the Hebrews, they had their ups and downs through Genesis as well. And the ending story in the book of Genesis is another one of God's stories of rescue. God saw his people in great need. There was a famine in the land. And God had already positioned one of his men to be living and working and serving in Egypt. His name was Joseph. And when the famine hit the land, the people of God were rescued by Joseph and the Egyptians' generosity. And so the people of God, as we move from the book of Genesis to the book of Exodus, have left the promised land and are now in Egypt. And they've been there some 400 years. And as they've been there for 400 years, they have been fruitful, they're multiplying, they're growing in number, went from a small clan to almost 2 million people in this 400-year period. And so the Egyptians who were using them as labor, who were using them as workers, they began to get a little jealous. They began to get a little scared. They began to get a little worried. What if this two million person nation that claims to be of God wants to leave? What if they want to rebel? What if they want to take over? And so the Pharaoh, who was the leader of the Egyptians, started putting in very cumbersome like, work requirements. He was making their work even more difficult. He was brutalizing them as slaves. And they cried out to him, they called to him, they begged on him to act. And today we're going to see that our God hears and our God acts. And we're going to see that as we get to know one of the major players in Scripture. 
His name is Moses. Moses was a Hebrew child born under the Egyptian captivity as they were slaves. And the Egyptians were doing something just horrific to the Hebrews, to God's people, to the Jewish people, because they were scared that they would continue to multiply and grow. The Pharaoh ordered that the first, like that the, that the males born to Hebrews would be killed, that the males born to God's people, his chosen people would be killed so that the country, the clan, couldn't continue to grow. But Moses, born under that captivity, was rescued because they saw that he was a special baby. He was raised in Egypt and lived a fairly normal Egyptian life until one day he saw one of his Hebrew countrymen being mistreated by an Egyptian slave driver. And he went up and went full WWE on this man. In fact, he murdered him. It was, it was horrific. But he was, a, he was standing up for his countrymen, so he did something to act justly, but then that put him in Pharaoh's crosshairs because Pharaoh wanted him dead. Moses left Egypt, and he went in hiding. And that's where we pick up the story now. Moses, as he was hiding, met a man named Jethro. And Jethro liked Moses so much, was so impressed by him, that Jethro gave him one of his daughters. Now, it's a different day and age, right? We're not going to go up and meet a stranger and go, I really like you. Here's my daughter. Not going to do that. I got two daughters. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. But in this day, as we see the hand of God working, Moses and Jethro would be partners, and God would use both of them to help Israel, to lead Israel on their journey to freedom. You see, that's what the book of Exodus is all about. Exodus is the, the great departure, the great leaving, the, the mass exodus, so to speak. So we're going to learn about God's journey to freedom and how he used Moses to lead his people. But today we're going to learn, learn what I think is most important in this whole book. We're going to learn what God's heart is for you and for me when we cry out to him. We're going to learn what God's actions are for you and for me when we've got great needs before him. Yeah, we're going to learn about a guy named Moses. But what we're going to learn about more importantly than that is about the God who Moses was following and the God who called his people from slavery to freedom. Y'all ready to jump in? Excellent. Let's do it together. Lone Tree, Port Lavaca, online. Y'all ready? Let's do it. Exodus chapter 3. If you brought your Bible, you can turn there. You can also follow along in the outline we gave you. Exodus chapter 3. So it's Genesis, Exodus, and then three chapters in to the book of Exodus. Exodus 3, 1 through 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and had led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Let's stop right there. So Moses went from being like, like raised in a great place in Egypt to now he is like tending sheep. And he's on the backside of the wilderness because what shepherds do for sheep is help them remain safe and help them remain fed. And so he's likely out here near Horeb, the mountain of God, hoping to find grass for his flock. And then what happened next? Verse 2. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that though the fire was, that the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. 
So you could obviously tell that God was preparing to talk to a man. I mean, look at how simply he got Moses' attention. Hey, here's a fire. That bush, it's not burning up at all. I don't go see what's going on. Right? He's calling a man, so he's going to use a fire. If he was calling a woman, it'd be much more nuanced, right? Much more subtle. There'd be a message behind the message, but we wouldn't eventually get, I mean, we wouldn't, you know, who would know it? I'm going to keep on preaching so y'all don't, you know. So God used this burning bush, and I want to show you a picture of a burning bush. This picture comes from St. Catherine's Monastery in Egypt. And this is a picture of the, the burning bush, the type of plant that God would have used to speak to Moses. You see it trellising over the retaining wall. It's in the blackberry family or the rose family. It doesn't like flower and it doesn't have fruit. Uh, but this is the type of bush that would have been burning in the field. And now it wouldn't have been weird to see a bush burning in the field because it's like the wilderness. But what's weird is that that bush wasn't consumed by the fire because God was going to speak through it. And when you go on tour to St. Catherine's Monastery, they wake you up in the morning and they say, today we're going to go see the burning bush. Today we're going to go see Mount Sinai in the burning bush. And people get really excited for that. And I heard the story of Lon and a man coming up to him while they were standing with the tour just like that. And the man came up to Lon and said, what time, what time does the bush burn? Like he had heard it that morning from his tour guide, was really excited there was going to be fire today. See, guys, we haven't changed much in all these years. And so he goes up to the tour guide, or he goes up to Lon as a tour guide and says, when's the bush going to burn? And Lon looked at him and said, friend, this isn't Disney World. The bush burned once. It's not going to burn again. Oh, you mean the bush isn't going to burn? No. I came all the way to Europe, from Europe to this? Yes, you did, because there's a bigger story. And what's the bigger story? We're going to learn it together now. Let's look. So God got Moses' attention with a burning bush, and then he would direct his life with his voice. Exodus 3, verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. That's my best God voice, by the way. <laughs> Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. So God had his attention, and now God was about to speak. And as we hear God speak to Moses through the burning bush, I hope that you and I see his heart for people. His heart for people when they're hurting. His heart for people when they're oppressed. His heart for people when they're far from him. His heart for you and for me. Listen to what happened next. As Moses was walking over Exodus 3, 5, and 6. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And, this, and at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. So the burning bush, oh, let's go see what's going on. Moses, stop. Take off your shoes because we're on holy 
ground. And I am the God, the one who's speaking through this burning bush. I'm the God of your forefathers. I'm the God of Abraham who made the promise. I made that promise to Abraham. And so what, what happens? So Moses is entering into God's presence here with the burning bush, and he's got to take his shoes off because it's holy ground. And the Bible says that when, when Moses realized that he was talking to the God of the universe, he hid his eyes. He didn't dab, but he hid his eyes, right? That's bad, really bad, I know. But he hid his eyes. And believer in Jesus Christ, I just want to take a moment to plant here. By Jesus Christ, we have full access to God because of his grace. Never, ever take that for granted. We get to worship him every week. We get to gather together in groups freely in our country. We get to, to listen to great teaching online and on the TV. We get to read our Bibles personally with no threat of governmental interference. We've got the freedom that so many people long for to worship God. And I want to tell you this, don't take it for granted. When you open your Bible and you read in the morning, you're standing on holy ground because the God of the universe is about to speak through his word. When you are learning and growing and, and following him, don't take it for granted that God's not your homeboy. He is the God of the universe. Never take it for granted. Because what we see here is a God who is worthy of our praise and worthy of our respect, who loves us and cares for us and is about to intervene on behalf of his people. So never take it for granted. And you approach that throne of grace, as the New Testament says, you approach that throne of grace with confidence. Because when you do, you'll receive what you need, grace and mercy. You can count on it. But do it knowing who you are Approaching. Let's keep reading or I might start preaching. Exodus chapter 3. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. God says, I've heard the outcry 400 years. I've heard the outcry. I know that they're being mistreated. I'm not missing a thing. And I'm concerned about their suffering. Friends, we don't serve a distant deity who doesn't know our need or care about our problems. But we serve a personal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who notices, who sees, and who cares. Verse 8, what did God do in response to our need? So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. And I will bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jezubites. I'm going to give them a land. I haven't forgotten my promise that I made to Abraham. But how did God say he was going to solve their problem? Did you get this? Maybe if you're one that writes in your Bible, maybe you need to write in your Bible in verse number 8. The Bible says this, So I have come down to rescue. Our personal God, time and time again, as we see through Scripture, comes down to rescue. When he corrected the world for the sin, what did he do? He came down and rescued with an ark. Noah and his family 
were saved. When he needed to make a deal by faith with people so that he'd have a holy nation, what did he do? He came down and called Abram to trust him. And Abraham is the father of our faith. See, when God sees a problem, he doesn't stand at a distance. What did Jesus do when the sacrificial system and the religious system couldn't solve the sin problem? What did Jesus do? We celebrated at Christmas. He came down. Friends, as you look at your needs and wants and troubles and trials, know this. Our God sees, our God knows, and our God cares personally about you and about me. Verse number nine. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So God says, I've seen it all. I've heard their cry. Now it's time to act. How's he going to act? Exodus 3, verse 10. So now I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go out to the Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? See, Moses, if we were studying him in this moment, We'd look deeply at that when God called him, Moses quickly gave God five excuses. Each of these excuses was based on Moses' limitations, Moses' own perception of himself. But God pushed through every time, and he said, this rescue mission isn't about you, Moses. This rescue mission is about me and what I can accomplish with you. But it's about me, and it starts with me. So listen to how God summarized and kind of challenged Moses Exodus 3, verse 12. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that that, that, that it is you that I have sent. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. He says, Moses, just like I promised Abraham land, I'm making a promise to you. There will come a day when you will worship with God's people. They won't be in captivity anymore. They will be free. And you will worship with them right here. And what I love is that God is giving Moses a moment that when he is experiencing the fruit of the promise, he goes, oh, yeah, you told me I would be doing this. Oh, yeah, you told me this would happen if I followed you. God gives us those same oh, yeah moments. There are promises in Scripture that if we will obey and depend upon him and we trust him each and every day, just obey every day, all of a sudden we look back and we go, oh, yeah, God, you told me it would work if I did it this way. Oh, yeah, God, I see what you're doing. When God said to Moses, you'll worship here again, it was his promise because the people were in captivity, but they wouldn't live that way forever. God would free them. As we look ahead to coming weeks. Next week, we're going to look at the danger of having a hard heart before God. And then the next week, we're going to look at the first four of the Ten Commandments. And then the next week, we're going to look at the last six of the Ten Commandments. But we've got as far as we're going to go in today's Bible teaching from Exodus chapter 3. So that brings us to the most important question of the day. Parkway Victoria, do you all have a good one? Yeah? Do you have a good one for me? It's two words. It's so and it's what. And I want to hear you all the way from Port Lavaca and Lone Tree as well. So on three, let's hear it. One, two, three. So 
Like, so what? So what that God rescued a Hebrew baby boy from being killed because Pharaoh was threatened by the people of God? Like, so what that that Hebrew boy grew to be a man and murdered another man? So what that he went and hid out and married Jethro's prettiest girl? Like, so what? I added that part in just for the record. Like, so what? that God used him and would call him to free his people. Mike, so what that the people of God called out to God for 400 years and God said, I see and I hear and I'm about to act. Mike, so what? What difference does that make in my world? What difference does that make for me today? Well, let's look at that together. The first one is this. I want you to know this. Based on what we've learned from the the story of Moses and God and the call that he has on his life to free the people. What we've learned is this, is that our God, he has perfect eyesight and he's not ignoring your need. He sees and he knows. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 32, verse eight. I will instruct you and I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. If you feel like you're in a season where you're crying out to God, where you're desperate for his action, his mercy, his direction, know this. The Bible here says that he will guide you with his loving eye on you. He's not guiding you with the ojo. He's guiding you with his loving eye on you because he wants what's best for you. He's guiding you with the loving eye on you because you aren't alone and his eyesight is perfect. He sees. The second thing we know is that God hears your cry. Not only is the eyesight of God perfect, but his hearing is absolutely tuned to hear our voices. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 116, 1 and 2. The Bible says, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy, because he turned his ear to me. I will call upon him as long as I live. See, one of the things that I love about the Psalms is that there are different Psalms for different reasons. This psalm right here is the story of a man saying, I have cried out to God and God has turned his ear to me and God has heard me. And because of that, I will cry out to him the rest of my lives. We get a real personal view of God in this quotation from Psalms. We get a real personal look at God because he hears and then he turns to give you his full attention. That's how I can prove that your husband isn't God. Because God hears and then turns his attention. Your husband hears and considers where his attention's gonna go. But our God, his hearing is perfect, and he turns his ear to us. The third thing we know is that God acts to rescue you. We have a God who loves us and want what, wants what's best for us. His loving eye is on us. His ear has turned to us. And he acts. With this 
In this story, we see him act with his voice and the calling of Moses to free his people. Listen to how God acts as Isaiah 59.1 describes it. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. See, our God, his arm, I mean, once again, personifying God, giving God a character trait that you and I can relate to. His arm isn't too short. A couple of reasons why. First of all, because he's the God of the universe. He's everywhere all the time, right? So his arm's not too short. The second thing is this. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, one of the reasons God's arm is not too short to rescue you is because God lives with you always by the power of his Holy Spirit indwelling your life. God can reach you because God lives in you, believer in Jesus Christ. God can reach you because he will never leave you nor forsake you, believer in Jesus Christ. His arm is not too short and his hearing is not too dull. I'm thinking that might just be what we write on my gravestone. His arms weren't short and his hearing wasn't too dull. Mike hurt. <laughs> Little less power whenever it's written about me than it is when it's written about God. Little less power when it's written about me than what's written about the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God of the universe and how he reaches out to you because he sees, he hears, and he acts. So based on what we've learned about God, I want to invite you to take a little inventory on yourself. Each week in this journey to freedom, we're going to look at a personal inventory. Today, it's a fearless personal inventory. We're going to look at ourselves to see how we're relating to God right now. So I've got three questions for you. First one is this. Am I calling upon God to meet my needs? Am I sitting in a pool of self-pity or am I crying out to God and asking him to meet my needs? The people of God were being oppressed. The people of God were being mistreated. The people of God, what did they do? They cried out to him, they called out to him. Are you doing that? Psalm 17, 6 through 7. Listen to what the Bible says. I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. Do you have that confidence that he will answer? You will turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. Show me the wonders of your great love. That word love there is hesed in the Hebrew, and it means his covenant love, his unbreakable love. Show me the wonders of your perfect, unbreakable love. You who, save your, you who save by your right hand, those who take refuge in you from their foes. This word, take refuge, means that we are putting our trust in, our hope in, our dependence upon God. It's used 22 different times in the Psalms. When we cry out to God and admit our need before him, what are we doing? We're finding our safe place in him. How are you doing in crying out for your needs before God? If I'm honest, there are times when I will cry but not cry out to God. If I'm honest, there are times that I'm sad, but I'm not sad enough to lift my head and raise my voice to God. If I'm honest, there are problems that I face that if I would simply cry out to God, he could lift them from my shoulders. Sometimes I like to drop those shoulders and go swimming in that pool of self-pity one more time. Oh, the deep end of that pool is so sweet. 
It is so lonely, but it is so, so sweet. How are you doing at calling out to God to meet your needs? Is it time for you to get out of that pool and dry off one last time? Because you know that you can trust and depend upon him? One of the reasons that we do small groups here at Parkway is because small groups do a variety of things together. They eat together, some good food, good snacks. They study something together, might talk about the message from the week, might talk about something else that relates to life. They do life together, have fun together. But each and every week, they also pray together. And I know that God answers the prayers of an individual just like God answers the prayers of a group. But I know that when I'm in a group, I'm reminded that I need to be crying out to God. And I'm reminded that he turns his ear, he hears, and he acts. I'm reminded to keep putting my trust in him. One of the things that small groups do for you and for me, they become our lifeguard. When we enter into a life of self-pity, the lifeguard of our group jumps in and says, hey, don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Cry out to God and he will meet your needs. Second thing, second question. I told you this is a tough one. Here it is. Do I believe that God can and will rescue me? And this question's twofold. Do I believe that God can? Is he powerful enough? And do I believe God will? Is he caring enough? Can God and will God rescue me? People of faith, I just invite you. If you've been struggling for a season that's far too long, don't give up. Do you have a marital disappointment? Do you have a financial setback? Do you have a health issue that you're worried about and wondering about? Do you have something that you've been calling out to God for a long time on? Has your time calling out to him, I mean, think about this with me. Has it increased your faith or has it caused your faith to decrease? Because what we see is that the people of God cried out to him for 400 years and then he acted. Listen to what Psalm 9, 9 and 10 says. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. God hasn't forsaken you. He hasn't left you. Keep crying out to him. Trust him. Make him your refuge. When you are weak, what is he? He is your stronghold. Keep crying out to him. He can and he will rescue you. Last question. What would I say? Or what would you say if God called you to rescue others for him? Or maybe as you have it, if God called me to rescue others, what would, you know, that's really not good um, because... (laughs) Okay, let me, let me just say the problem with the way I wrote this up here. So if God called me to rescue others, what would you say to him? Leave that up there for just a moment. If God called me to rescue others, you know what I know what you'd say? Go for it, pastor. 
I am in 100% agreement that God has called you to rescue people. I love this church, man. But what if God called me to rescue others? What would I say? Say that with me. If God called me, what would I say? We're not very good at responsive reading, but that's okay. Because I think you get the point. Because it's not that God has called me to rescue others. It's that God has called you and me to be his rescue agents. Moses had five excuses. God had five confirmations. When will you say yes to God to rescue others? Get this. Just like you would cheer me on and say, Pastor, we 100% support you going to rescue others. When you make your decision to be a rescuer, I'm going to be your chief cheerleader. I'm going to be cheering for you and encouraging you because you are doing what God has called you to do. So are you crying out to God? Do you believe that he can and will rescue you? And would you say yes if he said, you know what, my rescue mission includes you? If he could call a a murderer who stutters, that was Moses. I mean, think about it. He called a, a felon with a speech impediment to be a spokesperson. If he could call Moses, he could call you and he could call me. Our job, to trust him. Our job on a journey to freedom is to say, God, I will trust and I will follow you. I'll cry out, I'll depend upon you, and I will let you use me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open our Bibles today and to learn and grow. And God, I pray right now that you would work in our midst. Believers in Jesus, maybe today is your day just to say, hey, God, I'm going to keep crying out to you over this issue. We have talked many, 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 many times on this, God, but I'm not giving up on you or my need or the need of someone in our community or our family. I'm not giving up. I'm still here crying out to you because I believe you can, and I believe you will. Maybe, church family, you need to say yes to God, to be used by him. Even before he shows you what you should do, say yes. That's a yes by faith. As the church family prays, if you've never believed in Christ for life, I encourage you to consider it today. The Bible says that God came down to rescue us and that he sent his son, Jesus, who lived a perfect life but then died a criminal's death on the cross so that we could have life. The death that we deserve, Jesus died on the cross and the life that only he can give, he gives to all who would believe in him. So if today's your day, let's mark it with a prayer you can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a savior and that you are the savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life.